Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. My name is Daniel Janine. I'm a producer. Amanda, it's been a, it's been a while. We haven't seen each other. We're, you know, Zooming, but it's, it's what it is. Uh, I'm excited to talk some food stuff with you. Yeah, happy new year, Daniel. So happy to be back. Uh, the world continues to be terrible, but we are here to bring everyone the news, talk about food, talk about what's going on, talk about how restaurants Hopefully be are, a bit of a bright spot. But yeah, you know? a little bright spot. We'll, we'll talk about some hard stuff, but also some lightness. We're going to talk about Vianetta today. I mean, there's something positive happening in the world, and it's called <laughs> Vianetta. We're going to talk about Vianetta. We're going to talk... Sounds sugary. I don't know how positive it okay. can be. Okay. We're going to talk about <laughs> Shake Shack's new Korean-inspired fried chicken sandwich. We're gonna, that sounds like innovation. I'm excited about that. We're going to talk at some point to Ryan Sutton about the new round of Paycheck Protection Program loans and the latest unemployment numbers, which are very dire. And we're going to talk a little bit about just the state of the world. Amanda, I have a surprise for you to lead off. What? Yeah. Okay. Right now? Yeah, kind of. Cool. Um, so about two years ago, or maybe more, I don't know, uh, when Somebody Feed Phil... First hit, uh-huh. first hit Netflix. Okay. We talked about it, and I was I was pretty down on it. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think I said he was like gullible and it was cheesy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was wrong. I was wrong about that show. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think I was being snarky, maybe for the sake of it, and I don't think I really gave it a chance. And I think it's a pure good thing with pretty much no downsides. And I talk to a lot of people who it gives a lot of warmth and comfort to. And uh, you know, I've enjoyed some of the episodes, so I just wanted to to shout that show out and just admit, wow. ad, ad, what? admit a fault. What a random surprise. Okay, good to have the update. How do you think? What do you think about the surprise? Uh, I'm, I'm into it. I haven't thought about that show in a really long time. Um, I agree. It's it's a joyful show. He brings joy. I think there are criticisms and there are valid ones around who gets to do these shows and who gets funded for these kinds of shows. Uh, but he he's just a sweet, innocent dude who appreciates everything with joy. Um, yeah, let's talk about the state of the world. Okay, so Daniel, it's been a month since we've last talked about the state of the restaurant world. And... Um, it continues to be pretty grim. Ryan's going to talk about the unemployment numbers, but in terms of lockdowns, London is going into an extensive third lockdown. They estimate their pubs might be closed until May, which seems insane, but uh, who knows? DC is, cl- is closing their indoor dining through the inauguration for other uh, security reasons. Uh, New Orleans just extended their bar closure for another month. California is obviously still under intense lockdown. Philly and Minnesota brought back indoor dining. Chicago is considering bringing back indoor dining. And I saw an article yesterday about New York trying to expand its rapid testing so it can bring back indoor dining as well. So maybe we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel here for a few of these cities. We'll see. Uh, Also, one of One of the headlines that I uh, had to click this week was Disneyland is now a mass vaccination site. They vaccinate you with joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be families who are there like, oh, last time we were here, it was for the vaccination. I mean, maybe. It will definitely um, be one of those photos that will make it into like the documentary about COVID. (laughs) Just people getting stuck with Biden nurses wearing mouse ears and stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. What else? So that is lockdown. Toronto and, and most of Ontario are on full lockdown, just giving you the hometown catch up there. Thank you. Yeah, their cases are skyrocketing. Like the, my, my mom was telling me yesterday that they're starting to uh, pull cars over and ask people where they're going. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So uh, stories keep popping up in various cities about the underground party culture. Yeah. And can you report to our listeners about what's going on there? Like where are your party, your friends going right now? Hmm. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I hate to admit, I don't know what I'd rather. Would I rather be invited to these things or not? Right. Like, oh, they're not they're not inviting you. I'm not hearing so much about them. Didn't you tell me that all your party friends are going to Miami oh, right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's what I mean. The party Jews are all in, in Florida. They're all raging in Miami. If you're someone who earned more than like $50,000 uh, from your bar mitzvah, I promise you you're at a cabana in, in Miami right now. It's funny because you told me that and then I saw a friend and she was saying that she and her husband drove down to Florida for New Year's and they were staying at a hotel. They wanted to go to the Fountain Blue. But as soon as they got there, they checked out because it was just so packed, like mm-hmm. hot tubs full of people, like just not, did not feel good. And they went to, I think, Palm Springs. No, sorry. Palm Beach. Palm, Palm Springs, Palm Beach instead. They went to Palm Beach instead. Nice. Hitting up Mar-a-Lago. I love it. Yeah. Um, there is. Yeah. I heard some stray stat the other day about how 3000 people a day are moving to, uh, to Florida. Jeez. I think we had, we should, we should talk about this. Cause I think we had some ideas of what it was going to mean to dine in the freezing cold. Like we were both saying that we were going to be really tough wearing parkas and just getting snowed on. And I think there was that the first day there was snow, there was that picture of the, I think it was the Smith restaurant. Yeah. Was it here or in Chicago? Where it's just like there it was in New York, where there were people dining outside, just covered in snow. Um, yeah, I I think probably there's just not that much snow in New York, really. But like, we you know we've been dining out throughout these months, and it's kind of not that bad. Like you need a couple things. No. You need socks. Um, you need to go earlier because it gets cool later. Yeah, I would say that I think. Dining outside in the freezing cold is much better than I ever imagined it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, you mentioned the keys to your, to your point, bring a sock, wear good socks, you know, bundle up. I always bring a blanket and sit on top of it. And that is my, my trick. I feel like that works really well. Uh, but like these places with heaters, they're really cozy. Yeah, but it's really not that bad. So if you haven't done it, I mean, if you feel comfortable. If, it, if it's the cold that's keeping you away, give it a try. I also have found it's easier to get ready to go out because I just have like a go-to cold weather outfit. That's the key so here is you can- I'm not really yeah. thinking about what I'm wearing. It's just like, okay, what's the warmest thing? And this is it again. Such a benefit. You can, I mean, you can wear the same thing underneath pretty much every day. All right, Daniel, there was one piece of good news that came out in January, and it is that Vianetta, a favorite dessert from the 90s, from the 90s freezer aisle, is coming back. So we have brought on lead social media manager, Adam Musa, to talk us through it. Welcome to the show, Adam. 
Hello, I'm so happy to be back and talking about something that's so so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so for those who do not know, explain what is Viennetta? So Viennetta is uh, basically an ice cream cake. It's in uh, a loaf shape and <laughs> it's known for its signature ruffled look on the edges. Um, the classic one is made simply of vanilla ice cream and uh, chocolate, like magic shell chocolate. Um, and that's that's it. That's it's it's a chocolate and vanilla ice cream cake is the most uh, straightforward yeah. and also uh, unfancy way to talk about something that it's famous for being, quote unquote, fancy. So when 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 you say something is is back, has it been re-released or is it one of those things where it's like now cool again? It is being uh, re-released after being, I believe it was discontinued sometime in the late 90s. Um, although in my research for this, I could not nail down a specific year uh, when it was taken away. Hmm. So um, Viennetta is owned by Unilever, like the international ice cream brand uh, conglomerate. Um, and Viennetta is, has been sold in markets all around the world for years it's only in the us well uh most famously in the us that it has been discontinued for the better part of 20 years huh. that's awesome was so it's back yes but uh it's it has been continuously available in other markets this entire time so why do you so was this a huge moment online and like who who, who was who's freaking out about this okay everybody was freaking out about this <laughs> is the is the most <laughs> succinct way i can put it um mostly millennials uh is the best is is probably the best description um i would refer back to what my colleague uh jaya said when she wrote this up uh she was talking about how this is the this is a, a dessert that was widely available when we were kids and something she mentioned that was also echoed in like hundreds of people who were sharing the Eater story about this is uh, when when people saw this in their freezer, they knew that they were going to have guests. <laughs> it was something you served people. So, so uh, true. the fact that, it's, that everybody remembers it, but it's been gone for so long, um, created this like nostalgia bomb that went off. The thing is, it's like I said, it's it's chocolate and vanilla. It's certainly not um, some like exquisite, flavorful creation. It's it's so much in the style of this thing, uh, with the way that it's the the edges are ruffled and layered on there. So it's like layers of chocolate and vanilla. Um, we actually had uh, so on Eater from a few years ago, we had a a post about mm. a video that was filmed inside the Viennetta factory in uh, I think. I think it's in Portugal, um, where so it's it's the assembly line basically, and it's just the machines shooting ribbons of <laughs> vanilla ice cream and chocolate, and then slicing them and uh, so chopping them into the loaves that they get sold in, and then packaging them. It's like here's the assembly line of how it's done. That post has, in the entire time I've worked here, has <laughs> continuously like made people. Uh, crazy when they see it. Everybody sees it and they want to share it right. with somebody else. They're like, hey, remember eating this? So yes, long way of saying yes, there was uh, tremendous nostalgia about this um, that honestly has been, it was very obvious that this was going to happen whenever they brought Viennetta back. Um, so it's really just very surprising that they haven't brought it back before this because the potential for uh, 
you know, nostalgic marketing and a product like this has been there for, for all this time. They were saving it for when the world needed it the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get this get this yeah. ice cream cake a, a Marvel movie, <laughs> the origin story. Um, I'd eat it if it was made by Halo Top. You want to, that is the, the, honestly, the most, I don't, that's the most damn thing you could possibly say. Cause I think you're being disingenuous. You're, you're not being serious, but you think that's like a controversial, like funny thing to say. It's like, nobody wants to, nobody wants to eat Halo Top at the best of times. You eat Halo Top cause it's a last resort. Not because, oh, I'm, I'm out here really craving that. What, what is the, the sweetener that's in Urethritol? it? Urethritol? Yes. <laughs> Nobody's nobody's out here craving that. And Vianette is pretty airy anyway. Yeah, that's that's a really important point. It is a very light dessert. Um, you're you're serving it in slices like an ice cream cake, but there's really not that much in there. It's like eating soft serve. Do you um, do you kind of have like a list of these things in your head th- that are just waiting and ready to be re-released by their companies for? just a huge fanfare for instance like mcdonald's breakfast i think they thought it was going to be that moment when you could get it during the day isn't cherry coke another one of these things that like was put down and still has this huge cult following um i wish i could say see cherry coke is something that i not being of american upbringing mm. kind of missed out on and i and i hate the flavor cherry anyway so i wouldn't i would never have that but given i can't imagine that it's it's as exciting given that you can go to like a movie theater or something and you can use that kiosk to get cherry flavor <laughs> piped into your Coke anyway. This right. like Vianetta is something so singular and it has such a specific look and texture, even though the taste is, is something that we're all accustomed to. Um, there's nothing quite like this, which is, right. which is what has caused this. And I, uh, I don't think there's anything left in the in the millennial <laughs> in the nostalgia, nostalgia well. Yeah. Because what? We've had Crystal Pepsi come back in 2016. <laughs> Zima came back. Um, everything possible that you could bring back to, mm, to yeah. tickle people's nostalgia has been has come back, except for this. So like I said, it's it was always going to launch with this kind of fanfare in the US, but the same thing, literally the same thing happened last year in Indonesia when there was a change.org petition uh, to Unilever to bring back the Vianetta. And when they did bring it back, it was a very exciting moment, but it was selling out. There was a whole controversy with a chain of uh, convenience stores where they were employees were being accused of hoarding the stock <laughs> to take home themselves as opposed to actually putting wow. it out for sale. <laughs> okay, take us through what's happening at Taco Bell right now. So Taco Bell uh, in July last, so <laughs> Taco Bell, July 2020, announced that they were discontinuing potatoes from their menu as well as a bunch of other menu items. They said this was to streamline uh, operations in stores. Um, of course, July 2020, uh, everything had been heavily delivery. I mean, uh, uh, drive-through focused, so uh, stores weren't operating in the same way that they always did. So uh, Taco Bell announced they were nixing potatoes. Cue big outcry from the internet. A lot of outraged fans because people love potatoes in their Taco Bell. I personally am a fan. I they are one of the best things you can add to your meal there. <laughs> Anyway, uh, they've been off the menu for about six months now, and um, I feel like every other week a post goes viral with someone complaining about there being no more potatoes at Taco Bell. 
it's 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 something that's still on people's minds. On the fourteenth mm. of January, Taco Bell announced, "Hey, we're bringing potatoes back." And side note, we're also expanding our vegetarian options uh, because they are doing some sort of beyond. They're teasing a Beyond Meat partnership. Right. They said we're going above and beyond. Wink. Yeah. They. Oh. It was a very disturbing video with the CEO of Taco Bell. As In a fairness, potato. Amanda, yeah, it was a video of the CEO as a potato. Like he, <laughs> he wasn't trying not to be corny. All in. Um, but yeah. similar to the Vianetta, um, maybe not with such force because uh, people haven't had two plus decades to stew on the fact that they can't get potatoes at Taco Bell. Um, people are excited. People are saying we won. We bullied Taco Bell. Bullying works. <laughs> and it's true. They did it. <laughs> Great. The devotees uh, have successfully bullied a multinational chain and they get their way. It's amazing to me how like these big CEOs or not these, but these big companies who are, I don't know, I'm not, I don't think they're, they're not like giving organizations, right? They're kind of just evil entity, evil giant corporations peddling crap. They, the guy, they dresses up as a potato and everyone's like, this is adorable. That is like they have a, an ounce of self-awareness and they're just reaccepted into the into the good graces of the entire community. I mean, as people who who cover this stuff for a living, like that idea, I think, is at the heart of everything we do, because, yeah, we get excited. Like we, yeah. we are so we have such like fuzzy warm feelings um and nostalgic feelings especially for fast food but we know uh and we are always conscious of the fact that these brands are terrible in so many ways mm-hmm. um and you know whether you have mcdonald's lobbying against raising the minimum wage or you have wendy's uh screwing over farmers um we're always conscious of these things and but you know what we are complex people who contain multitudes and we can balance both of these ideas in our heads and also have a little bit of joy at the fact that i can put potatoes in my crunch wrap again <laughs> yeah i think the the cognitive dissonance of trying to be an ethical consumer while also loving some of these items is is very difficult to deal with and yet we soldier on every day I'm so proud of the way we do this. Uh, well, Adam, thank you for keeping us updated on what's happening on social media and what everyone's obsessed with. Uh, hope to have you it back It has soon. been my pleasure. Thank Thanks you. For coming. All right, Amanda, next up on the show, we have Chef Jay Lee of No One, a uh, Korean restaurant in New York City, one of my favorites uh, in the East Village. Uh, Chef, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Excited to be here. I think the biggest online controversy that I've seen in the food world in, I don't know, the last month or something has has probably been Shake Shack's Korean inspired chicken sandwich, uh, and I, I saw you you had an Instagram story or a, you put up a, a mukbang the other day where you tried the sandwich, kind of gave your thoughts on uh, the, the politics of it and the taste itself. But forgetting about the taste for now, I think we kind of had the same opinion about it. But I, I would love to hear from your perspective as someone who's you know made these sandwiches, eaten a lot of these sandwiches, like. How did you feel when Shake Shack first announced it? And how did you feel about the, I mean, a lot of the online hate that they were getting? So, yeah. So when Shake Shack first announced that they were doing these Korean inspired uh, chicken sandwiches and chicken, um, fried chicken nuggets and fries. At first, maybe I was taken a little bit of back, a, a little, uh, I was taken aback a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I thought about it again, I'm like, hey, that's actually a good thing. Right. Um, cause I, I think Korean, 
cuisine is often mis- uh, underrepresented. For example, my older cousin who went to college in Colombia, she brought kimchi to her dorm, dorm room, and um, she couldn't eat kimchi because back then nobody knew what kimchi was and everyone thought that it smelled. You know what I mean? Right. right. Now we see kimchi on every Whole Foods shelf. So now <laughs> the next thing is gochujang. Ko- I was watching a TV, sh- uh, a Food Network show yesterday, and none of these people could pronounce gochujang. You know, and, and now Shake Shack is using this ingredient to a mass audience in the U.S. or starting off in New York. I think that's a really good thing. I respect that. Honestly, I'm, I'm so happy that they're using a Korean ingredient on, on an, Amer- in an American dish. You know, like, it, like everyone else, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to get, it's hard to find something very appealing if you don't know anything about it. And it smells so funky and it's aged and things like Korean food where we use, it's a combination of both fermentation and freshness. So, um, so with fermented ingredients like gochujang, people can kind of be taken, taken aback by that. So I think 10 years ago, like if my restaurant opened up 10 years ago, I don't think. I don't think it would do very well, honestly. Does it does it make a difference that it also originated in their South Korean stores, or is that irrelevant since it is a big American fast food chain? I think that's chain? a huge plus. From what I hear, Shake Shack, uh, the amount of research that went into this it was extensive, and the fact that they did launch this in Korea, honestly, I don't think this tastes the same in Korea. There's no way, like fl- oh, flavor. We'll get to it. We'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but the fact that they did the, the their research and tried it in a market in the actual country that they're trying to like uh, get draw inspiration from. I think that's a huge bonus. But regardless, even if they didn't do that, I, I would personally be OK with it. So it seems to me that the that the complaints about this sandwich to zoom out a little bit. Right. It's a standard appropriation complaint that like obviously big boy rolls in and, and doesn't do enough to give back to the community or, or just takes a food that people are trying to sell and, and, and whitewashes it. Um, I think we're kind of saying that they've done their research. They, they're using kimchi made by like a small Korean family in Portland. They've got, they had a lot of Korean help in Korea. They kind of went above and beyond to anticipate these problems. The other thing was a lot of people were saying you would never say uh, Chinese inspired sandwich or Japanese inspired sandwich. And people are upset that they are conflating samjang and gochujang in the same sandwich from the sauce perspective. In my opinion, I've been to a lot of Korean restaurants where they they serve Korean fried chicken, like because it's a take on the Korean dish served here. And it's just like, it happens to, you would not see Chinese fried chicken, but that's not a dish that you would see anywhere, but you do see Korean fried chicken. So I don't know, to me, it doesn't rub me the wrong way at all, but I was curious if, if you feel the same. I agree with you. I think, um, for, first of all, if, if we call it like gochujang, fried chicken, I think mm-hmm. 95% of non-Asians would not know what that is. Right. Yeah. I think it was a marketing approach and they were using a Korean ingredient. So they wanted to, but they, I think they were very respectful too in their approach, Korean inspired. They never called it, it's, hey, this is what Korean mm-hmm. is, you know? So how did it, um, how did it taste? Yeah. So Amanda, so it tasted it didn't taste very good. Um, and, <laughs> and, and that's a very unbiased, like, uh, you know, feedback from me. Yeah. You wanted um, it to succeed. Yeah. No, first of all, Daniel, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Shake Shack. Like seriously, yeah. I, I could eat Shake Shack every single week, you know? Um, so I was, when I, when I ordered it, I was so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, 
I just want this to taste good so I could just tell everyone, yo, it tastes good. That's all that matters. But unfortunately, it did not uh, taste very good. And um, they failed in a few, few technical aspects, but also technical aspects as, you know, dredging the chicken properly, making sure that the bun isn't too soggy. And uh, the rate, also the ratio of, you know, slaw to uh, chicken. Um, the slaw base, if the slaw wasn't even there, I don't think I would have noticed it because you just, I just couldn't tell that the slaw was there, first of all. And uh, the glaze, the glaze on the chicken itself was just too, too much of a kuchijang flavor. Um, they needed to cut it and balance it with different ingredients to help to make, to make sure that the sauce was more harmonized. Um, so I think they failed in a few, few things there. Do you think they were worried about uh, people saying that they like dumbed it down or Americanized it? So they just went hard with the gochujang and they kind of went overboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, They're like, we're deaf. We're going to out funk you. We're not going to under funk you. I don't think so. I, I think, the, <laughs> I, I think the version that they did in Korea, like I, I'm really interested in trying it now. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure that the the ingredients itself in Korea were, is very, is much, much different than the ingredient, Korean ingredients you'll find here. Um, so I think um, they, I, I feel like they should have tested and tried it um, and gotten some feedback from like Korean chefs or, mm. or, or people that's tried to try their stuff in Korea too, to, to, you know, tweak and uh, tweak the recipe before fully launching it you had another issue with it which i shared which was that the nuggets there was nothing special about the nuggets they just came with dipping sauce yeah you know they didn't they didn't change the nuggets at all it was just like korean style nuggets but it's just like nuggets then it came with a special korean dipping sauce honestly i'm okay with that because i think you know it's it's yeah it's like showing i think it's like showing you know the the, uh, the new yorkers or people in america that there's a new sauce you can dip your nuggets and your fries into and it tastes, mm. it tastes great. And it's, it's using a Korean uh, a chili paste that's fermented. But the problem with that is that sauce wasn't very good. Like <laughs> it, um, mm. you know, like I think that they missed a few opportunities there. Like, um, the, the, first of all, the sauce, if you smell the sauce and you, if you blinded yourself and you smell the sauce, and and the person in front of you took the sauce away from you and you smelled like you wouldn't really tell that the sauce disappeared or not like there was just <laughs> no faint. scent to it yeah there was no yeah. aroma it was very very faint mm. so off the bat um uh the the nose that the aroma of the sauce was not there and then yeah. the flavor the flavor i mean it tasted better than it smelled because there was no smell but it definitely didn't <laughs> have the pack a punch and yeah. uh, you know, open up your palate like it's supposed but to. I will say like the one thing for me with Shake Shack and, and I don't know if you agree is that like it, it hit me when I was eating these because like when the nuggets first rolled out at Shake Shack, they weren't great, right? And then they kind of went back to the lab. And when I had that nugget yesterday or two days ago with even without the cream dip, I was like, this is the best nugget I've ever had. You know, like I think that Shake Shack well, the thing that Shake Shack is better, in my opinion, than anyone, maybe it's just that there's no chain of that size at like putting something out and then being like, oh, this isn't working. We're going to fix this and make it good. I don't know how long the Korean inspired sandwich is going to last, but like if it was there forever, I trust that Shake Shack. So there's would, a chance like, here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, too. I think Shake, Shake Shack is a great company. They definitely make improvements like they, they change their fries and then they 
brought it brought back the crinkle fries, right? Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. they yeah. they recognize what the people like and what they want, and they'll adjust and yeah, they'll they'll figure out a way to make this better. Personally, if they if you know Shake Shack, if you reached out to me and wanted to collab, I'll be honored. <laughs> Shake Shack, we believe in you. We're here for you. We're gonna support you. I wouldn't be shocked if you heard from them. Um, I, I yeah, I mean the only thing that I would really say that I find that Shake Shack screwed up in my opinion is like they just I can't believe that there wasn't that much online anger for the sandwich and they shouldn't they went out and they apologized and said like we hear you we're sorry we're going to do better and whatever but I don't think they did anything wrong and no, I, think the, I don't think so either the second you apologize that you just leave yourself so vulnerable to the to the next attack and I think if you cover your bases yeah. then I don't know the, the wind blows stronger as you get to the top of the mountain you know yeah, I think they also yeah. didn't say enough about all the research that went into it when they announced it. And they could right. have kind of protected themselves by saying, hey, look at all that we tried to do here. We're trying to be respectful right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think right now it's it's so sensitive of um, it's a cancel culture. Um, I think Shake Shack was just extra trying to be a little more extra careful this time around. And uh, I, as a Korean American immigrant from Korea, I wasn't offended by it. I don't think they should have apologized. I think you're right, Amanda, if they explained the amount of research that went into it and without like sounding defensive about it, but just explaining the full process that they took um, and just thanking the people for their feedback, I think that would have done, you know, done wonders. If people are in the New York area and they're craving some, some fried chicken, do you have anywhere else you would recommend them going? So in Flushing, oh, um, I thought you were just gonna say your own spot. You're actually gonna give. Oh, you're gonna give real yeah, I mean, racks. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I gotta throw in something and then throw in my uh, <laughs> throw in my spot right after. I, I can't be biased in this. Um, so there's a place called BBQ Chicken. They expanded mm. now, but the I, th- I believe the first location in New York was in Flushing on Northern Boulevard. Oh, you can get it in H Mart. Yeah, yeah. I love that but stuff. The, yeah. The original BBQ Chicken. They cook to order, and in H Mart and stuff like that, I think they yeah they cook, cook it like kind once of a put day. On, yeah. yeah, so so the one if you have a chance to go to Flushing and there get their BBQ chicken, it's like you bite into the fried chicken, it's crispy, but it's like a chicken juice explosion in your mouth. Mm. And then you know, and then you know, if you're in East Village, come to my my restaurant. Uh, no <laughs> one, uh, we make fried chicken sandwiches, and we also make uh, chicken wings, and it's super, super chicken delicious. Chicken juice explosion or no? Oh, it's like life-changing. You can't <laughs> eat other chicken wings after that again. <laughs> Shake awesome. Shack or elsewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chef. We will talk thank to you, you soon. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Next up on the show, we have Ryan Sutton. He is here to talk to us about the latest unemployment numbers and also, more positively, the new round of PPP loans. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Amanda and Dan. Good to see you guys. So first up, the big number Nationwide food service and drinking places lost 372,000 jobs in December. I had to double check that uh, because I remember seeing the jobs report that said nationwide all over, we lost 140,000 jobs. And I thought, how could it be true that we somehow lost 372,000 restaurant jobs, yet we did? Can you... Tell us how that happened. Sure. Well, well, part of it is just that we're looking at a, when you look at that big top line number, 140,000, that's like a net number. And so that takes Mm -hmm. into account some areas of the economy that are doing slightly better. Um, I think, you know, uh, I think that's off the top of my head, probably construction and some other, uh, I think, business services sectors. 
but of course, uh, that doesn't take into account the full picture, which, as you said, uh, 372,000 jobs lost in hospitality, which isn't you know, a huge surprise because we knew the hospitality industry was going to take a hit uh, in December due to all of the COVID-19 related closures in New York City and around the country. Uh, but 372,000 was a really big number. And if I can give a little bit more granular detail on that, um, uh, let's look at the unemployment rate for the hospitality industry uh, itself. So uh, in the national economy, the unemployment right now is 6.7%. Uh, that's still, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, but if you look at the hospitality industry, last month, it was 13.8%. That jumped up to, I believe, 16.8%. Wow. Sorry, 16.1% uh, in December. So that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty darn big leap. It's not as high as things were earlier on in the pandemic, where I think it was you know in the high 20s and 30s, which is true depression era stuff. But anything that goes in the opposite direction of a recovery, it means you're in you're in bad shape. And so in the hospitality industry, we're kind of looking at this, at least within our own restaurant and bar space, kind of a, a double dip recession, possibly of sorts, unless, you know, vaccinations magically start, you know, expediting over the next six weeks and 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 virus rates start going down. But in as much as we're seeing, you know, anywhere from two to four thousand deaths on any given day and on hundreds of thousands of infections, it, it, it's just not looking good short term. Uh, for the hospitality industry for from from a jobs perspective. Yeah, I think it's good for people to remember that, you know, you look at that number for the whole country of 140,000 and it looks bad, but maybe not as bad. And you think about the different groups that are impacted and it's just so disparate. I know I know I saw a lot of headlines about how women lost so many jobs in December and men gained jobs. And it's the same thing when you look at hospitality and when you, I think you look at a lot of different demographic groups. Uh, completely right. Uh, I, I, um, generally speaking, uh, throughout the larger economy, uh, the biggest hits were taken by, uh, I think, foremost from a, an absolute numbers perspective, Latinx men lost the most jobs. I think they lost around 238,000 jobs. Then after that, Black women uh, took the largest hit in terms of jobs lost. And after that, Latinx women took the largest job hits after that. So um, it, a lot of this is likely attributed to the hospitality industry, uh, where you see an overrepresentation of Latinos and Latinas. Um, and uh, it, we also know uh, that a, a large portion of workers in the hospitality and the hospitality industry are undocumented. Uh, undocumented people are reflected in those unemployment numbers. Unfortunately, they don't qualify for most forms of state or federal aid, uh, which means that uh, when you things are going to get pretty bad uh, for that group of people. And, and there are a lot of undocumented people happen to be of uh, South American or, or Central American descent. Yeah, it's interesting when you listen to The Economist, they sound almost optimistic about the American economy because these jobs will come back, restaurants will reopen, et cetera. But for those people who do not have any support right now, it is an impossible situation to get through this winter. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that. This is, you know, um, a, a, a lot of people uh, who are middle class or upper middle class, uh, if they lose a, a paycheck for one or two or even three months, uh, they can get by with that kind of bare bones uh, state unemployment aid, and they can take out, you know, a little bit of credit card debt. Uh, a, a lot of people who are among, you know, the urban poor, uh, they've already maxed out their their credit cards if they have any credit, uh, because they've been unemployed for months and months. Even, and, and that's an, another important statistic to look at. It's not just what's the unemployment rate throughout the country. Uh, an important government statistic is long-term unemployed people who have been unemployed for over 27 weeks. That's half a year. 
And so for a lot of people who have been unemployed for over 27 weeks, you start to not only have you maxed out your credit cards, but you're also starting to max out your, your government aid. And if you live in a certain state, you may not qualify for extra weeks after 20, after 27 weeks. Now, the good news is the stimulus bill took care of uh, a lot of that and, and extended it for those people who are on 27 weeks. But even if you're still on that bare bone state unemployment aid, you're not doing you know, terribly well, because in, especially for people in the hospitality industry in New York, if you're on state under unemployment aid, you're, you're, learning, you're earning less than the minimum wage on an hourly basis. Uh, and if you're earning less than the minimum wage on an hourly basis on state unemployment aid, uh, it, it's going to be tough to make that, you know, your, your $1,200 worth of rent. Um, but again, uh, that extra little bonus we got from the stimulus, that extra uh, $300 a week, uh, that's going to help things out uh, a little bit. And, and that's starting to flow into the coffers of those people uh, in, in New York already and in other states as well. But back to your larger point, yeah, uh, these are people who can't go a lot longer without aid, uh, whether it be state aid, federal aid, or, or, or more practically, these are people who probably just want to get back to work and, and, and doing what they, what they love and what they used to do. So let's shift to talk about restaurant owners then and the second round of PPP and how it's a little different from the first round. Uh, can you go through the different phases of it? Sure. Uh, and it's, you're right. It's a, uh, it's a little bit different and it's, you know, the, the PPP is still not perfect for the hospitality industry, but it's a heck of a lot better than it was. And it, it shows that policymakers on, on, on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats were, were at least listening a little bit to the restaurant industry and trying to make it better for the industry that was really, you know, uh, along with hotels, you know, the hardest hit uh, by the pandemic. So you have $284 billion uh, in this giant pot. Uh, and the good news is, is that for the first time, uh, you can take out what you call a second row loan. So, so in the past, you can only take out one loan, um, but now you're allowed to apply for a second one. And the cool thing, especially for restaurants, is that if you're a restaurant, you can apply for a loan that's 3.5 times your monthly payroll, uh, which is a lot different from what it used to be. It used to be 2.5 times your monthly payroll. And it's still the case for non-restaurants, but if you're a bar or restaurant, or I think even hotels too, it's 3.5 times your monthly payroll. So you're you're getting more money off the bat, and that's a pretty good thing. So that's point one. Um, point two is that, like the first PPP, if you spend it right, and it's it can be tough to spend it right, you don't have to pay that back. So the loan essentially turns into a grant. Now, this brings up point three, and this is where things get a little bit complicated. Back in the first PPP, way back when last year, uh, big businesses and publicly traded companies kind of crowded out the smaller independent restaurants, which was a real bummer. Now, of course, a lot of those big businesses like, you know, Shake Shack and have you ended up giving back that money. But it, it showed how the system wasn't working for the small guy. It was working for the big guy. So they put a, a, a bunch of carve outs into this new PPP that made it easier for first time borrowers and smaller second time borrowers to get that money. Uh, and so uh, right now, at least as of yesterday, and the PPP reopened as of Monday, but that was only for smaller first time borrowers. And then smaller second time borrowers, it opened up on Wednesday, and people who are accessing their loans through smaller community banks, rather than the big financial institutions of our country. Uh, and those carve outs are substantial. Uh, I think the whole pot is 284 billion, and I calculated around 90 billion are for the carve outs for, you know, we have places that are taking out smaller loans, places that have fewer employees and applying through community banks. So they're, they're doing a pretty good job making this uh, a better program. And, and what's even one of the coolest things is that if your loan is $150,000 or less, 
um, you have a, a really simplified forgiveness uh, application. That's important because, you know, a lot of these small mom and pop shops or mom and mom or pop and pop shops out in, you know, in smaller communities, they don't, they can't afford accountants to, you know, put together all this. It's, it's really, it's a lot of paperwork. The first PPP loan program, it was drained pretty quickly. And then they added a second batch of money and that money it took a, a while for it to be drained because it was pretty hard for a lot of restaurants to actually spend the money following the restrictions and the guidelines and they, they ease them partway through. And I'm wondering with this round, will it be easier to spend the money given that so many restaurants are under these intense restrictions and don't maybe don't have that many employees? Uh, you make excellent points, uh, Amanda, and I'll answer that in two different parts. Uh, you're right. And not only did it take longer for the second half of the PPP uh, to deplete, uh, there was a lot of money left over. Uh, my theory, when the program expired, my theory uh, on why there was a lot of money left over uh, is that you weren't allowed to take out a second drill loan. And so it, it kind of, it, it helped out the businesses that needed to be helped. That's part of the equation. The other part of the equation is what you just mentioned. The operating restrictions were, were, were super tough on the hospitality industries, specifically regarding the fact that you pretty much, with certain exceptions and caveats, which we can get into later, but they're, they're pretty nuanced, with certain exceptions, you pretty much had to maintain pre-pandemic payrolls. Uh, and so that's, 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 that's pretty tough when, uh, when you go into hibernation or, or what have you. That's the type of thing that you want to you want to shed your employees first and you want to pay for fixed costs, you know, things like rent and what have you, and, and maybe mortgages on that big kitchen renovation you had the other year. Uh, and yes, you can do that with the PPP, but it's, it's a burden to have to spend so much of it on employees, or if you couldn't rehire, you had to like rehire by the, them by a certain date. It, it gets pretty complicated. Um, so you still have tough rehiring provisions and that's kind of the not so great news about the new PPP. But the good news, uh, again, back to your point, Amanda, is that, you can spend it on some more stuff, which is pretty cool. So you can spend it on outdoor dining build-outs, which is what uh, a lot of restaurants need. Uh, you can spend it on, I think, air filtration. Uh, you can spend it on, and this is not necessarily targeted to the hospitality industry, you know, various human resources and I think cloud computing stuff. But, and I believe this targets the hospitality industry, uh, you can also use it to pay uh, suppliers uh, on the forgivable part of your loan, uh, which, you know, uh, obviously, to your restaurant to stay in business, uh, you need to pay the people uh, who bring you uh, the food that you cook every day. And, you know, a, a lot of us who cover, you know, hospitality lawsuits and, you know, restaurant bankruptcies, you know, we hear story after story about suppliers, you know, not getting paid. And they're usually the first people not to get paid. Uh, when, uh, when a restaurant goes under. So the fact that this can become a forgivable part of your loan and you can help uh, maintain this food supply system, even if you're, you're, uh, you're struggling, I think that was a, a, a hugely important thing and I'm, I'm glad the government did that. Just in your opinion, do you think any of these lobbying groups have, have helped make these bills more friendly to the industry itself? Or is there no way of really knowing? Uh, I, I can't speak for, for lobbying groups themselves. Um, uh, what I can say is that they're certainly listening, whether it being uh, whether they be listening to lobbying groups like the NRA uh, or smaller lobbying and advocacy groups like the New York uh, City Hospitality Alliance, headed by Andrew Riggi. Um, I'm sure they're listening to them, uh, and, and they've been vocal voices, especially Andrew Riggi, uh, for improving uh, the PPP. They're, they're clearly listening because the program used to be really tough and and now the restrictions are, are a little bit looser. I mean, obviously, the biggest ask from the hospitality industry is to get an even bigger 
a bailout. Uh, and I don't really like that word, but that's what it is, uh, you know, which would come in the form of the Restaurants Act, which is different from the PPP. The PPP you know, are forgivable loans based on your payroll. Uh, the Restaurant Act is, a, is uh, essentially revenue replacement, uh, which would involve a whole lot more money. And of course, that would help save restaurants just the way that the most recent stimulus uh, essentially, at least by my estimation, gave, I think, billions of dollars, I believe around $15 billion, to the theater community. And I believe those are in grants uh, because those uh, venues are almost entirely shuttered these days. And that will be huge and, and crucial for the arts industry and, and music venues throughout the country. And uh, we're all wondering, just as they listen to the hospitality industry and making the PPP better, can't we take that one extra step and finally get that, that Restaurants Act passed so there can be a, a bigger and more comprehensive uh, bailout you know, with fewer strings attached, which is the biggest thing for those smaller operators who don't have professional accountants who can, who can apply for this all. Um, I don't know uh, what will happen on that front. Uh, we know that uh, President-elect Joe Biden uh, is introducing, I believe, his stimulus proposal uh, sometime in the next 24 hours. And we'll all uh, tune in uh, to find out whether there'll be that type of, uh, wh whether there'll be language regarding uh, how the hospitality industry is going to be helped out, be it through the Restaurants Act or through something else. But, you know, fingers crossed, we'll see. That's something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, you know? there's a bright spot. A little bit of a bright spot. Uh, we'll again, take what we can get. You know, uh, it, 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 they're asking for billions and billions and billions of dollars. I forget what the exact number is. I think it's over a hundred. Um, uh, you know, and remember the regular PPP is, is $284 billion in itself. So, uh, we'll see. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much for all this insight. Thank you for coming on the show and we have our fingers crossed along with you for all this stuff. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Fingers crossed. Good day. Bye. Bye. All right, we are landing the plane. I think we got to wrap up for this week. Do you agree? I agree, but it's been a delight to see you again in 2021. Yeah, so that was a fun episode. We wanted to thank Adam Musa from Eater, Ryan Sutton from Eater, and Jay Lee from No One. Uh, check out all of their content. It's all available online and will be available in the podcast description. Um, and uh, thanks to you, Amanda, for, for sitting here and Darren, you know what I've realized about Zoom meetings? What? Is our faces are a lot closer in this setting than they would be if we were sitting at a table with each other. It's like very, it's face to face in the realest sense, you know? Yeah, less than six feet apart for sure. Far less. So it's nice to spend some close time with you <laughs> and uh, we'll do it again soon. All right. All right. See you soon. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs>